Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, people, and books that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, which is also the Greek symbol for the soul. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a critical point of development, they create the new form and structure which becomes the butterfly. My guest today is Frédéric Apfel-Marglin, who is Professor Emerita in the Department of Anthropology at Smith College, and she's speaking to us from Cambridge, Massachusetts. She founded the Sacha Mama Center for Biocultural Regeneration in the Peruvian High Amazon in 2009, where she works with indigenous communities as well as several high schools in the province, regenerating the most sustainable and climate-reducing pre-Columbian anthropogenic soil known as Terra Preta do Indio, Black Earth of the Indians. Her more recent books are Subversive Spiritualities, How Rituals Enact the World, Sacred Soil, Biochar and the Regeneration of the Earth, with Robert Tyndall and David Shearer, Contemporary Voices from Anna Mumundi, edited with Stefano Varese, and her latest book is written with Randy Chung Gonzalez, who's worked at the SBCR for decades, and it's called Initiated by the Spirits, Healing Ills of Modernity Through Shamanism, Psychedelics, and the Power of the Sacred. And it's an absolutely fascinating book. Well, welcome, Frederic. Thank you, David, for inviting <laughs> me. Um, so we're going straight into the, the first question, which is a shaping moment in your choice of work. And, and maybe you could include in that uh, how you came to work in, in Peru. We had organized with our network, Al being my uh, ex-husband and I, uh, who worked together. He's an economist. Uh, we had um, organized a conference in Canada in conjunction with the center that I'm in, I was very much involved in. And it, it was titled Alternatives to Development, not Alternative Developments, but Alternatives mm. to Development. And it gathered both um, activist groups from many parts of the world, as well as uh, our network of um, more scholarly uh, writers from all over the world. And uh, it was a fascinating group. And I knew many of the groups from India, the activist groups, uh, but there was one that I had never heard of or encountered. And, and he was saying, uh, speaking in Spanish, he didn't speak English, things that absolutely entranced me. He said, the traditional peasants in Peru they uh, raise crops and animals and children, and in return, they are raised by them reciprocally. I mm. thought it was fabulous, <laughs> so fabulous. I uh, asked immediately my ex whether we could invite this group to our our meetings, and he said yes. He had heard of them; uh, they're very interesting. So that's how the relationship began in 1992. Um, and they sent us another member, founding member of this 
it was an NGO uh, in Lima. And his name, uh, well, that really goes into the second question. So maybe. An influential mentor or teacher. So yes. you know, carry on. <laughs> yes. Uh, his name is uh, Eduardo Grillo. So he was a, a founding member of that NGO, that Peruvian NGO. And uh, the NGO sent him to us for our meetings. For two years, he came to meetings and I would translate whispering to him what was going on. And he was very interested in what we were doing. And uh, he then invited me to go and visit them in Peru and see what they do, uh, what they did at the time, and they did that for a good 10 years, is teach a graduate course for people involved in development in various regions of Peru uh, and who, who worked in development, uh, whose uh, roots were in the traditional, um, shall we say, indigenous uh, culture. Uh, and they they would they would gather at a, a retreat center outside of Lima, a lovely spot, uh, four or five times a year for two weeks, and I joined them. I think two times or three times a year. Uh, they asked me to lecture in the, they were interested in some of the things that I had written about, which they had read. Uh, and that's how uh, I learned a great deal about Peru because I knew very little about Peru. I'd never been to South America, never been to Peru. And they had uh, elders there from indigenous uh, groups who um, made the, the, those who participated rethink what schooling had taught them and university had taught them about uh, indigenous culture, namely that they were backward, superstitious, and to be left behind. And the course transformed that vision into the opposite. Your culture is an alternative to modernity and development. So it was fascinating. And Eduardo, what Eduardo told me, I mean, I learned a lot. He, we would lecture and you lecture. <laughs> We lecture the whole half day. <laughs> mm. We were from seven in the morning till midnight chewing coca to stay awake. <laughs> and Eduardo said, look, if you really want to understand what we are talking about, you got to come to a place that I know. And I know a curandero, medicine man or shaman there. And you need to take to do this, to really understand what we're talking about. I, because I was so um, enamored of their work and what they were doing, and, and I trusted them, so I said, okay, we'll, we'll go. And the next time I came uh, in the fall, um, we went to a place called Lamas, where the center that I eventually founded is located. And, uh, but it didn't exist. So this was 1994. And he took me to the house of a curandero who gave us a psychedelic. Uh, 
and we were in turn in total darkness and our mattress was uh, the the husks of beans bean husks mm. <laughs> and uh, and we drank water and hardly ate anything and the little we ate was no salt for three whole days and three whole nights and four days altogether it was it was a remarkable experience. I had never done anything like that. I had never ingested any psychedelics in my life before that. And we and at the end, uh, the 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 curandero gave us a bath, a plant bath, uh, facing the sacred mountain to the indigenous people. It was so powerful. <laughs> And then we decided, Eduardo and I decided to go, because he, he's a farmer uh, and he grows pineapples. And he said, you know, go look at my pineapple field. So we walk to behind his house, we get to his pineapple, we sit on the ground and I raise my eyes and I gasped. I gasped because what I saw, the landscape I saw, mountainous, hilly, very green. This is the, the beginning of the rainforest. Uh, but in the Piemont of, of the Andes, the eastern Piemont of the Andes. And I gasped because I had had a dream about eight years before. You know, one of those dreams you never forget, mm. really strong, in which I'm fl bodily flying and I hear a voice saying, you are coming to the Andes and there you will find everything you were looking for. And I land and that was the place. I raised my eyes and where I landed. Because when, when I had the dream, you know, that was in the 80s. And I wasn't sure exactly where the Andes were. So I went to my atlas. That's before Google, before internet. And I look up, I say, Latin America, South America. I'm never going to go there. I don't really do <laughs> like doing. And I bang my atlas closed. I don't do tourism. I'm never going to go there. Amazing. And, I, and that's the place I landed. That's 30 years ago, almost. <laughs> and Incredibly interesting, but because these prefiguring dreams, you know, they raise all sorts of questions about time and uh, fate and destiny. Um, as if at, a, at another level, you, let, you were bringing the future into the present with your yeah. dream. And exactly. then you recognized it. When, yes. when you arrived in that place, as it were. Yes, it was stunning, stunning. Extraordinary. I mean, that's such a defining moment. Very, uh, you know, very, I, I, very I, Nothing like that has happened to me, but I can imagine <laughs> the impact. It was, it was very strong. Yes. yes, yes, because your image, you know, there's this matching of images, as it were, matching of the dream image um, with <clears throat> um, the landscape. Exactly. Which is literally a revelation, I yeah, think. It was a revelation. Exactly. Well, I can't imagine that, that any books have had that same profound effect uh, on you. But uh, well... my next question is related to <laughs> books that have shaped your life and thinking. You know, I thought long and hard on that question. And then I realized that the one I was going to mention is really what started me on this journey. It was first published in 1980. And I started teaching at Smith. I started teaching before a few years, 
1981 and I started using this book had such that's that's the book that uh, made me know Anima Mundi, the occult philosophers, uh, you know, what had happened. Uh, it's called The Death of Nature by Carolyn Merchant. Oh, yes, I've read that book. It, it had such yes. an impact on me because I did not know that history. So, uh, you know, over my teaching uh, career, I researched more, I read more, but this is, you know, both uh, kind of a, a, a way of looking at science, which doesn't, which is not hagiography, uh, <laughs> it used to be, and, and a part of this uh, history that I was not aware of, I'd never heard about it she's the one who introduced me to all of that so it it was really uh really a, a turning point for me and do you know the the work of Frances Yates um yes of she, course yeah Francis she wrote Yates. about the occult philosophy absolutely and the but I got to her yeah. late later even though she she published earlier I got to her later when I was when I, I was doing things in more depth about the occult philosophers then of course I read Francis Yates. Yes. I'd, I'd like to put an extra question in here, which is, what do you think, why do you think the, the, the contemporary voices of the Anima Mundi are so important for, for the future development of our culture? Well, the, the, the Anima Mundi is an integrated cosmos. And divinity suffuses it. Divinity is not outside of it, as in, you know, the Abrahamic religions or, or their mainstream, you know, some of their mystical variants are, are, are different, but in general, uh, God, cre the creator, is seen as outside of creation. That's not the case with Anima Mundi. It's, it's, for me, you know, when I came to understand the indigenous um, cosmologies in Peru, I was struck how similar it was to Anima Mundi. It's really, it was, I think, the, the oral peasantry, the European oral peasantry worldview and the occult philosophers. And it's very similar uh, in its general outline of seeing the cosmos as suffused with sacrality and totally integrated. Uh, so we are connected to everything. We are not, it's not radically anthropocentric with humans uh, on top, uh, alone and on top, and the only ones who have consciousness. No. So that's what uh so so we we have our own if you will as as um, westerners we have our own version of uh indigenous an indigenous worldview that was no, actually absolutely that was actually the the powers that be uh, in in the world of knowledge which was the church they had a monopoly of teaching and writing went after it and the protestant the same Yes, they hated each other. We're killing each other, Protestant and Catholic. But they agreed only in one thing: get out, kill the witches and the sorcerers, 
and many occult philosophers and kill Anima Mundi. And the mechanistic philosophers you know, agreed <clears throat> in the sense that they, 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 they were looking at a dead mechanical universe, exactly. which still dominates our scientific worldview. Totally, totally. So that, that was what was offered. Uh, it was offered, it, ha it had to be out of religion because it, it was the time of the religious wars and, and the 30 years wars, in, 30 year war in all of Europe uh, in the first half of the 17th century, 35% of people died. I mean, it's, it was a huge, incredible, incredible yeah. number. So obviously, by the time Boyle is making the rules for the scientific method, experimental method, it was obvious it had to be totally outside of science. And one of, of the things... Of religion, you mean? Of religion, excuse yes, me. Yes, totally, <laughs> totally outside of religion, totally. And, you know, he had to develop the third person of knowing, of knowing uh, the total separation between subject and object. And all of this was really the opposite of what the occult philosophers were doing. And it was a reaction, in a way, to the trauma of the time, at one, yes, at one level. Absolutely, it was. And and this is, you know, wonderful book by by Toulmin on basically Descartes, uh, which which said that the people uh, in the end of sixteenth century and seventeenth century felt the general opinion was that this chaos, this these civil wars and, and international wars were due to the loss of certainty. Ah. Because the West had been addicted to certainty because the church delivered certainty for, for centuries and centuries and centuries. So they had gotten addicted to it. And they thought that meant law and order. So uh, the new knowledge which arose in new institution, the Royal Society in England, L'Académie Française in France and uh, something de Lynch in, in, in Bologna uh, were outside, had to be totally outside of either the Protestant church or the Catholic church. So it had to recreate certainty on a neutral terrain that they invented. That neutral terrain was a mechanical cosmos, Earth, nature. Without, Indeed, without, without any animating principle. And I think that's really what we need to recover. But let me go on um, to see if there's any other key moment of insight in your work that, that uh, you'd like to mention at this point. Well, uh, I should say at this point, the key... Uh, the key kind of insight or the key event for me was that uh, my, what in Spanish is called a heart son, that is, I have not adopted him formally, but he's, he's a son. Okay. He was the, the son of my uh, right-hand woman in the center that I founded in 2009, and I've known him since he's 15, and he's now 40. And I, he, his parents are very unusually, they are secular, which is totally unusual in this town. Uh, 
and he had no interest in spirituality uh, of any ver <laughs> uh, variety. And one day I was taking a couple that had visited the center for two weeks, a couple from the, the US, to an ayahuasca session. And it was far away. And I didn't want, I did not know them. I had never been to that center. So I told Randy, that's the name of my heart son, you must accompany me. He says, I don't want to go. And I made mm. him go. Mm. And when we got there, uh, at the evening at the ayahuasca ceremony, he was initiated by discarnate being. Amazing. Incredible. And that initiation lasted, I mean, it really hasn't stopped, but the intense initiation, receiving powers, receiving knowledge, uh, protection, that's very key, lasted almost four years. And and that, that was, because I had been doing ayahuasca after that first, session with Eduardo Grillo, I never gave it up because I I knew that I was it was an incredible way of developing spiritually. But I never wrote about it because I didn't want to make it, you know, an academic object of study. Right. It was too too intimate. It was my soul, you know. And uh, but with Randy, what he was telling me, I had never heard. Because I had done ayahuasca with a huge variety of uh, curanderos, indigenous, mestizos, all kinds, even foreigner, one foreigner, French doctor. And, uh, and I had never heard of this kind of initiation by discarnate being. And I checked with very knowledgeable people about it. They said, no, it doesn't happen here. And what I had read... Uh, you know, they learn from their father-in-law, their grandfather, their uncle, but they're not initiated by this kind of being. So, although uh, Mircea Eliad, you know, in his uh, classic mm. book, Shamanism, he describes and compared to what Eliad writes about, you know, decapitation, dismemberment, uh, Randy's initiation, he thought he was going to die. They tried to kill him, but it was nothing as gruesome as what they yes. about. <laughs> but it was unheard of. It's unheard of in this in the region of the upper Amazon, and not only in Peru, you know, Ecuador, Colombia, Bolivia. It's, it just doesn't happen. So it was a very unusual thing. Uh, yes, that's so interesting. Uh, and I can you're you're going to be talking to us further about that next month in January. So we're yes. really looking forward to that. And then how does your understanding of consciousness influence the way you live? Well, uh, more and more so because it's becoming more and more tangible, shall I say. I, I I've had that natural inclination, I think since since a child. I felt the world being alive. I, I grew up in a beautiful place called Tangiers in the Strait of Gibraltar, a kind of remnant of Al-Andalus, a little remnant mm. of, of Al-Andalus, mm. an extraordinary place. But after, I mean, my taking ayahuasca for so long, and but especially after Randy's initiation, because this was classic full-throttle initiation. And he would 
see and draw because he's a painter and a drawer. Uh, he, and, and he didn't know some of the, the visitation that he saw. I remember drawing and I thought it was an Orisha from the Yorubas in Nigeria. And I have a friend who is a specialist. I sent her the drawing. She said, oh, no, no, it's not Yemaya. Yemaya is the, the top of the sea. This is Olokun from the bottom of the sea. I did not know that. Randy certainly did not know that. He saw Shiva who gave him powers. He saw Ganesh. <laughs> I mean, he saw a series. Cross-cultural. Yeah, totally cross-cultural, totally. And in a sense, it was good that he, he was not raised Catholic, as normally people of his class would have been and are. Uh, this is very unusual in that little town. He did not reject it. And then he had visions without ceremony. He, he went home after the first, and the second night he's sleeping. No, he's, he's going to bed very late because he's, he's still rattled by what happened in, in the ayahuasca ceremony. And his then partner, she's sleeping next to him. He wakes her up because he sees an old man who comes and he's drawn him. So from his drawing, I, and I showed it to an, a specialist of the Ashanikas, I said, I think he's an Ashanika. It was confirmed. This was an Ashanika elder. It was an older man who gave fluids from his mouth in his hands and gave it to drink to Randy. And Randy was terrified. Didn't know what was <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> he didn't know yeah. what was going on. So he found out the next day that this was the knowledge. In, in Quechua, it's called Yachai, the knowledge of this elder shaman that he was passing on to him. If he comes back, open your mouth, which he did. Yes. The old yes. man came back two days later and Randy opened his mouth and took that Yachai from this older man who appeared to him again several times. So he considered... And was he, and was he discarnate, this elder, or, or was he just projecting from some other place? Well, he he was an Ashanika because of the way he was dressed very clearly. So the opinion of the, the specialist of the Ashanika, who is a dear friend, is that no, this is a must be a dead shaman now. Okay. At the time coming, right. maybe he was alive at the time, but, but you know, taking Randy as his successor. Well, we live in a multi-dimensional world, and that's what you've been describing, um, yeah. which is the understanding of indigenous people. Um, but we need to recover that in, in the yeah. West, because we're yeah. in a sort of one-dimensional system at the moment, which is Absolutely. only physical. And and it's a disaster. It's having all sorts of effects, which we're trying to deal with. We, we actually need a change of worldview. We do. Very badly, we do. <laughs> so let me come on to the, the final part of, of the, the interview, which is about proverbs you live by or favorite quotes. Do, do you have any that you'd like to share? I, I would. And I have to say, <laughs> it's not from an old, old text or it's not a proverb. It's a recent book, but I've read all of his books. I've been reading his books. His name is Brian Swim. He's oh, yes, absolutely. Well, he's a member of the network. 
Oh, he is? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, we, we, in fact, we must have him on this podcast. I don't think he's done an interview yet. He's uh, indigenous from from close to, uh, I, I can't pronounce it, but it's X-A-X-L glottal stop I-P. Okay. Shashlip. Um, yeah. Several hours drive north of Vancouver. Uh, that's uh, the group of his father. And so I took the quote from his latest book, which I absolutely adore. I I highly recommend it. No, I've it, I've reviewed it. Um, you've reviewed so, it? Yes. Yes, no, no, do but do give us the quote. Okay, the quote is this one. And I'm, I'm joining two parts of phrases from two parts okay. of the book. Mm-hmm. Entering reality includes a massive figure ground switch from space as a container to space as infinitely creative womb. Our discovery of cosmogenesis has led to our realization that matter is spiritual as well as physical. Yes. Yes. Well, that's by that. (laughs) It really exemplifies, absolutely exemplifies everything you've been saying. Yes. So, um, and then finally, uh, Frederic, is there any advice that you, you'd give to your younger self? <laughs> My younger self. Uh, well, I had a very complicated growing up. I write a little bit about it in the book with Randy. My parents were just figures of fear, both of them. So I was raised by my brother. And then they sent my brother away to England when I was 11. And like my world fell apart because my brother was my connection to reality and to life. So to my younger self, I would say, take what you learn through academia with a huge grain of salt. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, your younger self, in a sense, shapes who you are now. And you can see that continuity, a sort of biographical, thematic continuity. And and many people say to me, well, have more confidence. That's what I would say to my younger self, Um, from where I am now. And that's, that's, I think, a good piece of advice. Absolutely. I lacked that terribly. (laughs) Yes. It took me a long time to get some of it. Well, Frederick, thank you so much for joining me on Imaginal Inspirations. I very much enjoyed what you shared with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. This was lovely. Thank you so much.